Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning, everybody. Today is Tuesday, November 10th, 2020. And we've got two of our reporters today talking about Brightline, uh, the electric train line. Brightline Holdings, the $2.4 billion Brightline West high-speed train bond offering, which the company a couple days ago yanked off the market, was derailed by its massive size and the project's speculative nature, according to some portfolio managers uh, we interviewed. Our, our DebtWire reporters, Kaylin Devitt and Kathy O'Donnell will do a post-mortem on the failed deal. All right. Welcome, Kaylin Devitt and Kathy O'Donnell. Ladies, how are you? Good. How are you? Doing well, Young. How are you? Good. Thanks. All right. Let's get into it. I know both of you have been covering uh, the story for months now, and I think I'm assuming for now the book has closed or as they said, the train has left the station literally on this story, a massive junk bond deal for Brightline Holdings, which wants to build a high-speed electric train between Southern California and Las Vegas. So after weeks of trying to get investors on board, another pun, the company early November finally pulled it from the market. So tell us, why is this an interesting story? Uh, well, it's interesting for a couple of reasons, one of which is, it's just the sheer size of it. Mm -hmm. It's the, when they first pitched it, they started in late September and it was at 3.2 billion. And then later as part of a series of efforts to attract investors, which we'll talk about later, they trimmed it down to 2.4 billion. But even at 2.4 billion, we think, and most people, you know, portfolio managers and people we talked to think that it was the largest junk rate muni bond deal ever to come to market. So, that, you know, that alone makes it interesting. The whole train project is expected to cost, or, I, I, you know, it's hard to even know what verb to use, but they say it's still going forward. So it's expected to cost around $8.4 and the debt is going to be around $6.5 possibly. So this was the first tranche of that. So it was one reason it was interesting. And then another reason is because... You know, it was sort of considered when it was first brought out anyway as sort of a referendum on the high yield muni market, how much appetite there was going to be that it was going to sort of test appetite in the high yield market for speculative projects like this. And so in that light, you know, we found out there are some limits on the appetite, especially given the current moment we're in with the pandemic and economic uncertainty. And, um, you know, this is even with yields higher than 7% that they mm -hmm. were that they were offering, but also, and you know, Kathy and I will talk a little bit about this later. It's not necessarily a referendum on the high yield market because a lot of high yield buyers told us that this was also a very unique project. It wasn't necessarily indicative of a lot of the, um, of the high yield muni market and that it was sort of undone in the end by a combination of technical factors, the moment right now and concerns about the speculative nature of the deal. Right. And I'm going to address, I think, three questions, but let's start one at a time. Uh, Kelly, you were mentioning uh, investors. You said they were made, there were several modifications made to attract them. What were some of them? Well, one of them was that cutting down the size, which they did, you know, 800 million. That's pretty significant. They chopped that off. And they also agreed to kick in a lot more equity, about 500 million more in 
equity. Um, they also, you know, made smaller changes to terms like restrictions on various accounts. But one of the more interesting um, efforts was that they offered to tender bonds that are already outstanding for Brightline's uh, kind of related train project in Florida. And Kathy, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, yes, that they they did um, make tender offers for these, uh, you know, two series, um, I should say two tranches of um, these 2019A bonds of the Florida Development Finance Corporations that were issued for the Brightline Florida project. And that was significant because those tender offers were issued at par and the bonds were trading uh, in the mid to high 80s range. And that's, you know, where they are right now. As a matter of fact, I just checked. Um, so um, they, um, they announced those uh, tender offers and then they were supposed to expire, I believe, on uh, just before midnight on October 27th. And then on October 27th, they announced the tender offers expiration date would be extended until October 30th. And then on October 30th, Brightline announced that it was terminating the tender offers, which pretty much told you the deal was not going to get done anytime soon. So um, uh, that was, uh, they certainly you know, did try hard to attract investors there. And that was sort of, like I said, it was, you know, people we talked to said that was pretty interesting. I mean, that would have represented, like Kathy was saying, by tendering at par bonds that were trading around 85, it would have meant like a 15% recovery. Um, still wasn't enough. And, and of course, the tender was contingent on the Brightline West deal, the one we're talking about getting done. Mm -hmm. So um, it wasn't like, you know, a one-to-one, -one, like you had to tender the bond and then buy the Brightline West, but it was contingent on it. And um, so it was sort of an interesting, and another interesting aspect of the tender was that it didn't, the bond prices, a portfolio manager pointed this out to us, the bond prices on the Florida, um, the prices on the Florida bonds didn't move mm -hmm. even after that tender offer at par. So you would think that like if that market was taking it seriously, that you would have seen those bond prices on the, uh, on the Florida deal go up a little bit, but we didn't see that. So the manager we talked to was like that kind of shows you that the market was treating even the even the tender kind of skeptically and not thinking it was going to really get done i see so if we had to look at the overall technical and and, fa and credit factors to tell us walk us through like how the deal was sort of undone or sort of maybe in the train in a train uh, uh analogy like unbuckled or something like that <laughs> derailed Yes, there you go. You're out of reach in here, young. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, one, one buy sider we talked to said that, you know, if they brought the deal last year, it might have worked. Mm -hmm. um, that shows you kind of the technical factors. I mean, the demand just isn't there right now, really, on the high-yield muni side. They did, we should mention, they did definitely shop it to more than just uh, municipal, um, the traditional municipal buyers. They, sh they did a lot of kind of crossover, and I think that they were trying to do some international buyers. Um, but so the demand just isn't there. And, you know, Kathy, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because that sort of relates to outflows, what we've seen in the high yield market so far. Yeah, year. I mean, in the high yield muni market, according to Refinitive Liver, we've seen, I think, about six billion of net outflows this year through November 4th in the high yield muni funds, including uh, ETFs. But in 19 of the past 25 weeks, so even though there was a six billion of net outflows through November 4th, there have been net inflows in 19 of the past 25 weeks. Um, so 
while there were, you know, net outflows overall, you know, a lot of that kind of was driven back by, I know you folks remember what happened back in March um, with all that dislocation related to the coronavirus. Um, they had about $11 billion back then, and we all remember that kind of seize up that happened when people were just fleeing um, high-yield muni funds. So, um, you know, but the Brightline deal was just very, very large. It was going to require additional financing in the future, you know, beyond this and this particular deal. And it also hinged on, um, as one portfolio manager told me, complicated assumptions regarding future ridership. I mean, it's not a service that is currently available. It's also not an essential service on the order of something like New York MTA. So, you know, those are things, you know, that uh, I guess, you know, some folks looking at it would, would want to see. And, you know, the high yield market in, um, you know, and I, th- I think as people, you know, it was widely understood that, you know, this these tender offers were really targeted at, you know, Nuveen, which holds, you know, a very large amount of those, um, you know, the Florida uh, bonds. And um, Nuveen, I think, is $18.8 billion, um, the Nuveen High Yield Fund. And, like, the next biggest fund after that is, you know, roughly half the size. So, um, you know, it, it was a, a very large deal, some uncertainties in these kind of uncertain times. And um, I think, as one portfolio manager told me, it's not the fact that people don't want to take risk in the high yield market. It's just that they're more comfortable uh, taking risk in some of the more traditional, typical muni high yield sectors rather than something that's a little bit more speculative and unproven like this. Right. Now, this borrowing would have been, sorry to interrupt, but this borrowing would have been one of the largest junk mini bond deals to date. So let's talk more about the high yield market because I think you were saying before, it's, this is not reflective of a, the basic, um, what is the one I'm looking for? It's not typical, uh, it's not representative of the high yield market, right? Uh, no, I mean, I think that it's more sort of, you know, sort of some of the reasons Kathy was saying um, it's a more speculative project. I mean, it was hard for people to kind of wrap their minds around it. You know, this is a first of its kind, high speed rail, all electric. And mm-hmm. it's, so it's just very different. And, and you know, here in the U.S., we, we don't have projects like that. So I think for for that reason, it's not indicative and, and it's not, you know, in the high yield market, you know, it's not tobacco. It's, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the parts of the market are taken up with these kind of, you know, sort of traditional CCRCs, tobacco. So it, it wasn't, you know, sort of a traditional tax exempt um, um, high yield deal. It was, you know, more of a sort of corporate deal. And also, Kathy was talking about March and, you know, the turmoil we saw in March. And and because of that, it's worth mentioning also on the technical side that many of the high-yield tax-exempt funds are still showing negative returns year-to-date mm-hmm. as a result of that. So that's another sort of technical reason why it might have been a difficult time to bring it and right now. Right. And and I know Kathy was talking about the Florida prize. Like you said, the it's as opposed to New York MTA, it's not considered essential right now it's just obviously on stall because of COVID-19 but mention again about Kathy about how the bond the, the current Brightline Florida bonds are trading you said sure um the the um, the current Brightline Florida bonds are trading the ones at least the ones that they were tendering for the two tranches there they're trading at like 85 and a half 87 and a half and they really have not moved and um mm-hmm. I know Caitlin and I when we when we speak um Every once in a while, to some portfolio managers about what they think of those levels, there's, um, you know, a fair degree of skepticism um, among some folks. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, the price is what you can buy or sell it for, but there's some skepticism there because, 
you know, it is not operational at the moment. I mean, they had to um, shutter it um, back in March, as, as you can imagine, with the um, the coronavirus uh, pandemic. So there is a, a you know, as someone said to me, I cannot imagine like a worse investment right now than you know a shutdown train in in Florida. So um, I guess it remains to be seen. Um, you know what will happen going forward. As we know, there was some good news regarding the Pfizer uh, vaccine candidate. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you can imagine, I don't think, you know, either anybody really wants to be packed into a train, um, you know, in an environment where, you know, it could be, um, you know, uh, there could be risk to your health. So, um, And also, like uh, Kathy mentioned, Nuveen earlier, Kathy, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Brightline is their top holding, the Brightline, Florida. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think it's the number one holding. I know number two is that Energy Harbor, which is a common stock. Um, But I believe, yes, that it is. Uh, I think it's like 2.5% of assets, if I'm not mistaken, but um, so it's a fairly, uh, you know, significant holding for them. So for now, the deal has been yanked, but is it is it dead or do you, based on what you found out, do you think it's still going to happen? I we There was some speculation, you know, I mean, I saw on Twitter someone was speculating about, you know, what does this mean for uh, potentially the, um, you know, Brightline West deal coming back? And um, I reached out to um, someone at the company, and they didn't have anything to say at the moment. Um, but um, you know, who knows? I mean, they they you know they they have this vision. I mean, uh, you know, Brightline Holdings. I think um, they say in the preliminary limited offering uh, memorandum that Brightline and you know Fortress is actually um, kind of the company behind all of this. And they believe that multiple travel markets in the U.S. represent attractive opportunities to, to develop high-speed intercity rail systems. So they appear to have kind of a vision for this. And even in Florida, what they say is that, you know, instead of just kind of a train service, this is kind of their kind of PR for this, they say that, you know, it's part of a real estate vision to re-energize static neighborhoods with transportation hubs, including modern stations and, uh, you know, 4,000-square-foot food halls and things like that. So. They have currently, um, right now, um, Brightline, Florida began um, its rail service between Miami and West Palm Beach, Florida, in January 2018, and it expects to open an Orlando extension in the second half of 2022. So, you know, it's it, that that extension is um, is also planned. And it's under construction. And then the mm-hmm. other thing I would add on the market side is, you know, with Kathy mentioned Pfizer's the vaccine announcement mm-hmm. yesterday. We saw on the corporate side, I, I think junk bond yields um, reached record lows yesterday. So, you know, there's there are sectors like transportation is one of them. Also, sectors that rely on tourism. You know, you could argue maybe this is both. Um, this does go to Las Vegas. Um, are still you know vulnerable, but it's it's an interesting week for sure with the market, and we're seeing kind of the strong rally. So I'm sure that. Uh, maybe they're watching it closely and they're thinking about what they want to do. Sure. And certainly, uh, you know, yield is something people want <laughs> these days. Although, as I was warned earlier in my career, more money has been lost on Wall Street reaching for yield than at the point of a gun. So, <laughs> that, that is, <laughs> you never know. You're either going to be a hero here or a goat. So, um, it will be it will be very something very interesting to follow. And I'm also very interested in Fortress because they appear to have kind of a natural gas play as well. Uh, there's, a, I believe, a fortress energy component uh, here. So 
um, that should be kind of an interesting to, thing to follow. Um, if it's yeah, that rail. is interesting. And moving that right by rail, right? Isn't that part mm -hmm. of our... Mm -hmm. Yeah, possibly, I know that there's possibly. some concern. Yeah, there's some concern, I know, in among some environmentalists in the in the Florida area about 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 that at the moment. So, um, but uh, certainly should be some interesting developments. It was uh, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, kept Caitlin and I on our toes for the past couple of months following all these yeah, different definitely. developments. And our editors, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> well, definitely. <laughs> I mean, one well... late night Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> Ruined everyone's cocktail hour that night. I think. <laughs> well, it was virtual anyway. It was virtual anyway. But anyway. <laughs> but uh, yes. But thank you so much, both you ladies, for your work. It's been um, great coverage. And like like you mentioned, we'll see what happens um, with the volatile market right now. We'll, we'll we'll I know you'll definitely keep us uh, apprised of what's going on. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for both uh, appearing on the show. We'll talk to you both later. Stay safe out there. You too. You too. Take Thanks. Bye-bye now. All right. And that's our show for today. Many thanks to Caitlin Devin in Chicago, Kathy O'Donnell in Harrisburg, PA, Kristen Ayala, our producer in New York, and to you out there, our listeners in Muniland. Stay safe. Uh, stay healthy. And hopefully uh, you'll tune in next time for the latest on distressed mini debt on the mini lowdown produced by DebtWire Municipals. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Mini Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.